The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. The more things change, well, the more they change. Last week, I announced that Unity Online Radio was discontinuing its radio ministry, and the Main Street Vegan show would have its last broadcast next week. That's still true. But I do believe that after a little break, we are going to resurface on the very same podcast platforms where you listen now. So through another network, we are going to morph into a more pure podcast format, and the name will change to the Victoria Moran podcast. But if you're a subscriber on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, you will still be a subscriber. And I look forward to a fresh start, a new coat of podcast paint, and uh, maybe another 10 years. Hi, everybody. Uh, Victoria Moran here. So eager to have you on the program with me. And I say all of you because if you're watching on um, on YouTube, you see that we have a very full screen today. Our guest for the hour, Dr. David Jenkins, is here. And so is Ann Dinsha, um, kind of vegan royalty, the daughter of uh, Freya Dinsha and the late Jay Dinsha, uh, co-founders of the American Vegan Society. And I have somebody with me here. Come on, Thunder. If you hear some cooing in the background, my apologies. I hope he's not annoying, but this is Thunder. He's a rescue pigeon, and anybody watching on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Victoria Moran NYC, you can see Thunder. 
Thunder, it would be nice if you would be quiet for about the next 27 minutes, and then we'll have a break, and you can go in a different room. So uh, welcome. Welcome, Anne, who will be actually speaking with us uh, after the break. And welcome, Dr. David Jenkins. Dr. David Jenkins, MD, PhD, DSC, is a true scientist. He is a professor in nutritional sciences at the University of Toronto. He has six degrees from Oxford University and a research interest in carbohydrate and um, fiber metabolism, functional foods and nutraceuticals and plant-based diets. And he is known beyond the academic world as the creator of the Eco Atkins diet. We're gonna find out what that is. And also the dietary portfolio for cholesterol lowering. Welcome, Dr. Jenkins. Thank you, you, Victoria. It's absolutely wonderful to have you here. I've followed your work for such a long time, but I didn't know until I was speaking with a mutual friend about a week ago, Dr. Um, Joel Kahn, that you have a very interesting childhood story that led you to change your diet. Can you tell us that? That story has been going around. Yes. Uh, Well, uh, I was uh, I was not a vegetarian at the time, and uh, at a church fete that I think was held to repair the roof of the church uh, and gain money from uh, all the parishioners, um, there was a, a church fair, as it were, and um, part of it was uh, was uh, throwing a, a, a wooden ball as a coconut. It was a coconut shy, and um, one had to knock the coconut off its stand. I managed to do that. And my prize was a little bantam chicken. Um, it was a little, little, little rooster, in fact. And I took it home. And uh, after a little while, I realized we had to go look for a mate for it. Um, it was on my aunt's property. Um, it was, she had a very large property, and so she could look after this, this little bird. And um, it had a mate, and in due time, they produced children. Um, and uh, that was part of my sort of pride and joy when I was young, to look at these, uh, this rooster and its, its, its little uh, its entourage of babies. Um, and I thought this was going to grow and become a, a large flock of, uh, of bantam chickens. Um, and they were going to live peacefully on my aunt's large property. Um, but... Uh, one Christmas, um, I found two small birds in the hamper that she sent us with a lot of a lot of other things that were sort of vegetables, fruits, and uh, various things. Um, and there were these two small birds, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder whether she's doing something behind my back that she shouldn't be doing. And then it suddenly dawned on me that they were probably two of my bantams. So at that point, at that point, I became a little distressed. It was not exactly Christmas spirit in our household at that time. Um, I then decided that um, this was perhaps the time that I should stop eating meat and that Christmas was not a time to celebrate uh, by killing other creatures. So that, if you like, was the the beginning of of vegetarianism. My mother was worried because she thought I'd fall apart. Um, my father, who was a physician, said the boy will be all right 
as long as he eats a balanced diet. That was quite enlightened in those days because that was yes. a long time ago. Um, and um, so there was a lot of family tension, as you can imagine, going backwards and forwards. Um, but my mother um, acquiesced very graciously and uh, from then on prepared special food for me and food for the rest of the family. So, um, but as time went on, the food that I ate became more what the rest of the family ate. So um, I think that was the beginning of, of my vegetarian experience. And I have to say, when I started, it was not the sort of thing that was considered normal. You were considered distinctly abnormal. That's so interesting that you would use the word normal because I just got my um, copy of the American Vegan magazine that uh, Anne and the American uh, Vegan Society produces. And there is an article in it called Becoming Normal or something of that nature. Do you want to just give us a little something on uh, that article, Anne? I think we're going to have more of a conversation than I had anticipated. We'll just go with the flow here. You're muted, Anne. Still muted. Still muted. Yeah, you're, no. you're good. Yeah, you're okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Vance Lemkill wrote that article, and he's the director at the American Vegan Center. And it's just when you see a center that says the word vegan in a major city, and you could just walk in there. It just normalizes it. And we have so many people who walk by who go, wow, there's a vegan center. Because there's still people who think that they're the only vegan around or the only vegan they know. So it really helps to make them feel normal. It also helps to make it feel very normal for people to be curious about it. There's people who walk by all the time who are wondering what vegan is. So it's it's really fun, fun time to start a center. That's that's amazing. So I, I would take it, Dr. Jenkins, that when you were having all these childhood adventures, this was in the UK? Yes. And, and then so, later in Australia. We moved to Australia later on. Oh, interesting. Well, I moved to London at 18, and that's where I went vegetarian. And then when I came back to the States, it was Anne's parents that took me all the way to vegan. I, I was not a quick learner, but uh, once I got there, <laughs> it stuck. Well, I, I have to say I was a vegetarian for a long while and only latterly became a vegan. And latterly, I say it's now, now sort of 15, 20 years ago, but it seemed like latterly. Uh, and it was really because of friends who said, who were carnivores, who said, well, you still got uh, wool clothing and you still wear leather shoes. So what are you talking about? You know, they, I sort of brushed that off as them just being sort of uh, uh, callous, if you like. Um, but after a while, I realized, yes, after thinking about these things, one had to look much more intently into this. And I think, I think probably Anne would agree that vegan is really a philosophy. It's not just an eating practice. And I think one's looking at the sort of things that are destructive of, uh, of other creatures' habitats and way of life. So true. Well, let's get into some of your scientific work, Dr. Jenkins. I know there is so much of it. The thing that I think is really fascinating uh, to the listeners, I've already had some correspondence with some of them about this, is this thing that I don't even know if this is the name you gave it, but people call it the Eco Atkins diet. What is that and how did it come about? Well, it came about, as, as you may re re recollect, uh, probably about 
15, 20 years ago, probably 30 years ago. Um, it was actually 35 years ago, probably, that Dr. Atkins brought out his, uh, his revolutionary diet, was diet revolution, which was to treat diabetes. And um, he did that by cutting out the carb from their diets. And he reported a lot of successes, I have to say. Um, I have to say that it was always associated with weight loss. So I think what people did to a very large extent was just cut out the carbohydrate calories in their diet. And by doing that, they lost weight. And when you lose weight, then you get improvements in diabetes status. And so that diet became very popular. And it became so popular that a lot of people who were sort of on the verge of diabetes who were vegetarians so perhaps I should give up uh, being even vegetarians and should go back to eating animal products because there's more protein and fat and there's no carbohydrates in animal products apart from a little glycogen. So I thought, well, this is not a good idea. Uh, would it be possible? Would it be possible for us to do something, not perhaps going as extreme as Dr. Atkins, but something in that direction um, with entirely plant-based diets? So that was really the idea of the eco being ecologically friendly, um, Atkins type diet. And that was really the, 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 the mission behind it. And at the same time, Boy Eaton had come out too with the paleo diet, the paleolithic diet, um, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, and that was a more, he was, he was suggesting that the paleolithic diet was more the hunter diet rather than the gatherer diet. And, um, and then the popularity, too, of the keto diet then came later. So a lot of diets came out that were saying uh, you should cut out carb um, and focus on fat and protein, which is usually of animal origin. So that's the reason why we've continued looking at this line of, of work, not because I'm saying that's the ideal diet, but I am saying that that is the diet that gives those who want to go low carb, who are vegan, an option of going low carb and testing it to see what, what effects we might get. And that's brilliant because we get that argument. I mean, Anne, you know, we hear this all the time. I need more protein. In fact, I, I was in a situation last night where, you know, somebody just, just said, but I can't do that. You know, I, I of all the, you know, human bodies in the world have to have more protein and, and to be able to say, well, there is a way you could do this is pretty cool. So I, I that, wanted to that's, That to was ask, really the reason. And I know I, one of the other questions you're going to say is, well, do I believe that we should um, have much more fat in our diet? That's what you're going to say, I know. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you can do it and you can do it healthily if you're, if you're careful. I would say that an eco-Atkins diet is a lot harder than a vegan diet, a well-balanced vegan diet. So it's an option. Is that basically... Just an option. Yeah. That's, that's so... I love options, and we need options. If we want to have a vegan world, everybody is not going to be in lockstep and do exactly the same thing. So that is very cool. Then you have a, another... Um, a body of work about this portfolio system. What's that all about? 
Well, that was really quite a simple system. Um, <clears throat> we'd been working on plant foods and many of them had um, cardiovascular risk reduction properties and some of them actually lowered serum cholesterol. So sticky types of fiber and oats and barley and that sort of thing, uh, lower serum cholesterol. Uh, vegetable protein foods from legumes like soy, tofu, beans and peas and lentils um, have a 7S globulin fraction and other features that may also render them lowering cholesterol. So they, they reduce cholesterol too. And uh, other foods, plant cereals in, in fats and oils, uh, also uh, lower serum cholesterol. So we thought nuts are a good example of a, of a sort of composite food that tends to reduce serum cholesterol. The FDA had already given all these, um, all these foods status for health claims. You can make a health claim if you're a food producer, um, if you contained a certain amount of these foods um, in, in your product. So my wife said, well, look, it's no point you just doing research on these individual foods. Why don't you put them together? And then you can do something that really approximates what drugs do. Because people, if they're going on a diet, will want something that does what a drug does. And she says, while you're looking at peas and beans and lentils, that's fine. You'll get a 5% reduction in serum cholesterol. But statin gives you 30%. That was the early statins. We do much better nowadays. So at that stage, I thought, well, yes, she's right. Um, we better get, she's a dietitian and a PhD. So um, I, I better get moving and we better put these things together as a, like a financial portfolio, you know, covering your, your, your benefits and your risks, um, people's preferences, et cetera, and putting it all together in one, one bundle. So we did. And surprisingly, we got a result that was very, very close to a first generation statin, lower statin. And that was that was uh, that was that was surprising and uh, and also reaffirming because we thought if you stacked up five percent, five percent, five percent, five percent, then you would get there, and we did. So I thought that was useful. It's been it's been it's really just advising people to do what they should have been doing, but doing it all at once rather than doing it in bits and pieces. So. Yes. And, and some of the dietary guidelines, guidelines for, for clinical practice in various parts of the world have taken this up and, uh, and used it. And I, I think, uh, I think that's, that, that's good. It's a portfolio, so it's expanding. You know, you've got more things to put in. Some things you may take out and other things you'll put in. But um, we thought it was a good line of research uh, to keep following because it would give people an emphasis on the actual uh, disease risk reduction um, that one can get with diet. And we thought that was important. If you want to say that this is a good diet, is, does it good? Does it does it do anything any good for me? That's what people ask. And you could say yes, uh, and that will make it much easier for the people who are going to say, "Well, we're doing it for environmental reasons." Well, then they can say, "Yes, we're doing it for the environment and for yourself." I love the idea of, of um, aligning it with a financial portfolio, because I think people understand what that is, just never thought about using it in terms of diet. That's brilliant. So I do want to ask about the oil. <laughs> you knew this was coming, because so many of the plant-based doctors are, you know, warn against oil, even though a lot of the studies say that the Mediterranean diet with 
olive oil in it is great. So for us lay people, we're just kind of like, you know, pick one and run with it. I, I, what's your oil opinion? My oil opinion is that oil is not oil is not oil. Do you know what I mean? I think there are different sorts of oils. I think that um, we have a problem um, in the industrial world with oils because the majority of oils are extracted using petrochemicals. So it may not be the oil, which is the, the problem, but it may be the hexane, the cyclohexane and the other components mm -hmm. that are actually in the oil. And ESFA in, 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 in Europe is actually looking at this in detail as to whether oil should be continued continue to be extracted um, with, the, with products of the petrochemical industry, which leave components within the oil. So I think to me, that's a really big issue. Um, on the other hand, olive oil has traditionally always been extracted, um, either co-pressed uh, with, with the so-called extra virgin olive oil um, or ex extracted with hot water. Uh, and that's where they've got their, their oil from. And olive oil has always had a very good uh, reputation in terms of health. Um, whether you can do better with no olive oil in a Mediterranean diet, I don't know. I haven't seen the study where we've looked at no olive oil versus olive oil in a Mediterranean diet. And that's a study that would be good to do, um, but I don't think I can get the funding for it. I find it very difficult to get funding for doing research in any way, let alone something that people are not particularly enthusiastic on the research grants committees. But we can say that the PREDIMED study, which actually enriched a Mediterranean diet with extra virgin olive oil, it didn't seem to work for the regular olive oil, but it did for the extra virgin olive oil. And that may be because it's got a lot of phenolics, antioxidants and other things in the oil. So it may not be anything to do with fat itself. Mm. But all I'm saying is with the extra virgin olive oil, they found um, a 30% reduction in cardiovascular events um, in those who were on the standard American Heart Association diet versus the Mediterranean diet supplemented with olive oil. And they saw the same effect when they gave oil in nuts, which again, would have a lot of other phytochemicals and other things in them. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that those who are saying cut the fat are wrong. What I'm saying is that I think our industrially produced fats may not be the ideal, um, but there is some suggestion uh, that fat in the form of uh, the less processed oils, the olive oils, uh, seem to have some advantages. And so I think that um, I think the door there for me is open. Uh, there may be those who, who may benefit from a higher oil diet with perhaps somewhat less carbohydrate, which I would suggest should always be low glycemic index, whatever the carbohydrate. Um, but they may do better. Um, and there may be people who are very insulin resistant, as many of us are as we get older. And they may do, do with somewhat less um, less carbohydrate, always a low, low glycemic index carbohydrate, a little more oil um, to, to take up the calorie slack, as it were, um, that one, one leaves when one reduces the carbohydrate. And that may be quite healthy too. 
I'm not going to make any pronouncement on that because we don't have long-term studies on this. Mm. All one can say is the cohort studies, especially the Harvard cohort studies, which have been very informative, have suggested that um, higher oil, plant oil, and, and uh, plant protein intakes have had some protective effect in the West, in the context of the Western diet. The nurses' health study, for example, health professional study, um, these sort of studies have shown that. So all I'm saying is that you don't have a randomized control trial long-term. The only one we've got is PREDIMED, where they actually for four years supplemented with olive oil on a Mediterranean diet and got benefits. So those, those are the data that we've got. So with the extra virgin information there, would that imply that at home in our kitchens, if we want to use olive oil, we should be using it only in salads? Is, is cooking with it a problem? I, I do. I, I'm agreeing with you there. I think that um, so much of the way oil is used in the Mediterranean diet is with sort of marinated peppers and this sort of thing. And others, the oil is, is not, they're, they're not cooked in the oil. The oil is there, they're marinated in the oil. And that a lot of the oil that, that is, 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 is consumed is poured on to foods. They do use some in cooking, this is true, but a large proportion is uncooked. And I am, for the same reason that I'm worried about uh, the processing of oils, I'm also worried for high temperature cooking of oils because you get lots of particular components in highly in, in, in well in well cooked oils at high temperature. And also foods that you cook at high temperature in oils, they can you can reach far higher temperatures than you can boiling. And those two produce products, browning products, reaction products of various sorts that are probably not healthy. So they may be the flavor, they may give you the flavor, but they may not be ideal for health. Perhaps a small amount, I don't know, but large amounts, no. Thank you. I love the idea that some things can be individualized and that we don't necessarily know about everything. And so we make the best choices based on what makes sense. And keep keep your options open. Yes, lovely. Well, we are going to be going to break in just about a minute. So I'm going to do a shout out to our wonderful sponsor for the second to the last time. And that is Compliment. These are wonderful dietary supplements made by vegans for vegans. Uh, Pamela Ferguson, um, PhD RD from up there in Toronto, uh, where you are, Dr. Jenkins and uh, Matt Fraser, the meat-free athlete and Dr. Joel Kahn, whom we mentioned, are all part of Complement. So it's so cool to know that you can take a supplement that doesn't just throw the whole kitchen sink at you, but that really looks at what we are getting from the food in a wonderful whole food plant-based diet, and then putting in some of those things that we might be short on. So take a look at what's going on at Complement. The website is lovecompliment.com. And if you put mainstream in all capital letters in the little discount code box, you can save yourself some money. So do check them out, lovecompliment.com, and be back after these messages. Um, more with Dr. David Jenkins and with Anne Dinshaw.
Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. It's so much fun to have more than one person on and just be able to kind of make a party of it. I hope it feels like a party to you. Uh, A quick announcement, the Compassion Consortium, which is a beautiful interfaith Interspiritual, interspecies center. Uh, we meet regularly uh, the fourth Sunday uh, of every month, 4 p.m. Eastern time for a celebration service. But we also do a compassionate book night or compassionate film night about every month or two. And on April the 12th, coming right up this Tuesday evening, we're going to be looking at the book by one of our founders, Reverend Sarah Bowen. And that book is called Sacred Send-Offs, which is about when we lose an animal companion, or even if we see an animal who has met his or her demise out on the road, is there anything, is there a response that's appropriate, or is our response appropriate, and just somebody needs to recognize that and celebrate that? So uh, Reverend Sarah Bowen is a wonderful speaker and, and a very um, gifted animal chaplain, among other things. So that's going to be April the 12th, and you can get more information at compassionconsortium.org and just click on events, and you do need to register to get the Zoom link, but there is no charge. And uh, if you love somebody who's not a human, it'll be just perfect uh, for you. So now I, I do want to fully uh, introduce Ann Dinshaw. She is a lifelong vegan. And with her mother, the amazing Freya Dinshaw, uh, heads up the American Vegan Society and is very instrumental in the formation and direction of the very exciting new American Vegan Center in the historic district of Philadelphia. 
and they publish American Vegan Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine that you can still get on paper. I love paper magazines. And if you are a vegan and you are not a member of the American Vegan Society, well, that just means that you're not American. And so you belong to some vegan society in some other country. But if you happen to be American, you need to belong to AVS. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Victoria. Always a pleasure to see you. So tell us about this dynamic, dynamite, amazing, incredible, historic new center. Yes. Well, it gets better every day. We opened in September of last year. And so it is in historic Philadelphia, right in Old City. We're across the street from Christ Church. Uh, very close to Penn's Landing near the Liberty Bell. So wherever the tourists are thinking that they're coming to get the history of Philadelphia, now they can get the history of veganism because most people don't realize that uh, both the vegan and the vegetarian movements in the United States started right in Philadelphia. And so you get the history, but what really makes people love veganism is how delicious the food tastes. So we give out uh, free food samples And um, we have some exciting things for people to come in and visit, like a life-size cow. Uh, She is a stuffed animal, and people come in and take selfies and post her all over social media. And we do a lot of featuring the local vegan businesses, as well as some national amazing products. And uh, we're looking forward to starting some events soon, too. I teach the vegetarian history class for Main Street Vegan Academy and try to really keep up on that. But I learned some things in in this current issue of American Vegan, uh, historic things that I didn't know, a couple of people that I hadn't realized were part of our history. So there's a lot to it. Yes, our director, Vance Lumkull, does an excellent job bringing out all the history and making it lots of fun. So if you haven't taken a vegan history tour yet, it's vegan and vegetarian history because the history goes back so far before vegan was coined as a term. Uh, Just go to our website, AmericanVegan.org, and you can learn more about the history tours and sign up for them. Now that the weather's getting warmer, uh, we'll have lots of tours going on all throughout the warm months. And you're having a big party at the end of May. So tell us about that. Yes, we are having the party, not in Philadelphia, but a little further south, down in South Jersey at our headquarters. So it's the annual garden party, the American Vegan Garden Party. And there'll be more information up on our website very soon at AmericanVegan.org. But it's basically just a good celebration. There's live music. There's outdoor lunch. So you can be socially distanced. And uh, then our speakers this year, we have the amazing Freya Dinsha, <laughs> um, and uh, she's the president of the organization. She's been working there since 1960. And so we also have, flying up from Florida, Dr. Michael Clapper, who everybody loves, and um, he will be adding a lot of height to our uh, speaking platform. And uh, we're looking forward to having both of them because we've been welcoming Dr. Clapper for, this is our second, third, third time in a row, welcoming him. And we've been canceled twice because of COVID. So we have not held the garden party for three years now, amazingly enough, but it is definitely on and uh, people can sign up uh, probably starting tomorrow. You can sign up on our website to come. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll be there. 
I remember the first time I met Dr. Clapper. He he came to a vegetarian summer fest and there was all this scuttlebutt. We have a medical doctor. This was 1983 or 84. And I remember thinking, we have a medical doctor? Well, everything is going to change now. And, you know, everything has changed. It just was a little bit slower than, than I thought. So any other news from AVS you want to share with us, Anne? Uh, well, just that I'm so delighted to hear that you love our magazine in print. Uh, it's been quite a time getting it to come out in print because everybody has shortages of everything and paper shortages at the printer. I mean, it was our winter magazine and it just got to you. So my apologies to everybody, uh, but hopefully they enjoy the issue and see how valuable it is to have vegan centers, not just ours, but there are vegan centers sprouting up in all sorts of places around the world. And that's really the future of where vegan is going, that it's, it's normal, it's natural, it's delicious, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your parents, my goodness, I don't know where veganism would be without them. It wouldn't be anywhere near where it is today. So thank you. Thank you. And and thank them. So I don't know if you want to hang out here with Dr. Jenkins and me. We'd love to have you. I know you're busy. If you need to move (laughs) on to being a mom and being a director of an association, we'll understand that too. Well, you're a good break for my usual routine. So I'm enjoying it. (laughs) Good. Well, during the break, we were talking a little bit with Dr. Jenkins about some of the things that uh, he is excited about right now. And I just want to pick up on the last thing that you talked about, and that is the effect of diet as people age. Now, obviously, you know, those of us who are 25 are aging, but those of us who aren't 25 are thinking about it. So um, what, what's known, what's new, what do we need to be doing as we get older? Well, I think what we need to be doing is doing a lot more research, to be honest. And I think we need to do a lot more research as people age and with different sources of protein, different sources of fat, different carbohydrates and different glycemic indices. I think these really have to be explored and we have to learn. Um, And we don't know. We don't know. Um, We've got an idea, but we don't know for sure because we haven't done the studies. And to be very honest, um, I think wherever you've got a chance of telling your elected members that we need more research, we do. We need more research funded. It can't be refunded, but it can't be funded by the food industry. Um, They've funded some in the past, but quite honestly, the food industry is not a high profit industry. It's not like the drug industry. And so we do really need to have Um, funding that is federally funded by federal agencies funding the research of the things that you do most often which is eat and to some extent exercise that too has not been thoroughly worked out we don't know uh, exactly what one needs not because we haven't had good people working in the area but they've not been funded so uh, that's that's my that's my pitch um So what can we say that seems useful? Well, I think that what we can say that seems useful is that uh, there are probably, um, in some respects, higher protein requirements as we get older. Um, On the other hand, we have to be very careful because you don't want to have so high protein requirements that you get a renal problem because the the output of, of high protein is in urea and is through the kidney, so that and with acid products very often. 
a metabolite. So there's a delicate balance there between what, how you protect your kidney as you get older, which, which always goes downhill, unfortunately, and how you maintain your muscle mass, which also goes down as we get older. So we are in a difficult situation with kidneys that are failing and muscles that are fading away as we get older. And those are, those, those are major problems for people as they age. And they're part of the reason for falls and all the problems that we get with falls and all these other sorts of things. So again, that's an issue. So that, if you like, that's a passion for research that we've got to try and at least scrape off the surface of that particular problem and see what we can do. Uh, and I think it's very important. There's another thing that happens as people get older. Um, after a meal, um, they tend to get very often very low blood pressures and rapid pulses. And there is some evidence that this postprandial hypotension may not be good for cardiovascular disease and other diseases because you're putting a big challenge on the system. What happens is that um, when you take a meal, um, it gets digested in your intestines and that you need to bring in the blood supply both to supply um, the, 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 the fluid that you need for your enzymes, the fluid and materials for enzyme production, and for the fluid that you actually secrete into your gut at the time to digest the foods that are in your intestines. So as you can imagine, where does the blood come from? You've only got five liters or less, depending on your size. Um, the blood comes from the, what we call the systemic circulation, the blood that sort of supplies your, your legs, your kidneys, and your brain. That's where the blood comes from. And unfortunately, if the blood then has to go to the gut, then the blood pressure may fall. Yeah. Now, normally, if you're young and healthy, all your, your, your arteries and your veins and the whole venous system closes down to an extent so that, in fact, the, the blood volume in that particular system is not compromised. But if you're old and you've got poor mechanisms for contracting, then the blood pools and the blood may pool in the legs. Um, and then the brain is deprived of blood. So you have to be very careful with diet with older people. In fact, even younger people sometimes feel after they've had a big meal feel sleepy. I don't know whether you've had a big meal and you felt sleepy after it. Part of the reason is you've got a fall in blood pressure. Oh, that's fascinating. In your, in your case, it's not severe, but as you get older, this can become severe. And that's why old people can get up after a meal and then collapse or break a hip even worse. So I think these are these issues that we have to think about. Or if they're a bit younger, they may find that their heart is pumping very rapidly. And if their arteries are not that clean, they've got cholesterol in them that can bring about a heart attack. So- Recording in progress. So we do have problems that we have to address in terms of food. We believe that plant-based diets are good in this, this respect because they normally plant-based foods have got more fluid with them. And if you've got more fluid actually with the food, it doesn't pull as much in from the circulation. We believe that if you have healthy plant-based foods, peas, beans, lentils, these are digested more slowly. So they again tend to pull in less fluid. 
uh, into the gut. So all these things, if we put them together, may obviate some of the problems that we've got as we get older. And these are just straight physical problems, but they end up being dangerous problems in terms of uh, cardiovascular risk and stroke risk. So, uh, and then falls and uh, all the problems that people have with falls. So I think we have to look at these things that we're studying them right now. Um, and we do find that young people don't have these problems and older people do. Uh, we don't know what the rate of decline is because we've only looked at the two, 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 two differences, young and old. At what stage in life this takes place and how one can modify this and protect the nervous system, we don't know. Um, is it more B12? I don't know. B12 supplementation may be necessary for vegans. Many people will say so. And I certainly suggest that vegans get their B12s measured. At least that, that's important to know what's happening with B12 metabolism. So that's an important thing. Uh, an annual check and certainly as people get older. Right. And it's so interesting to talk with someone who really understands the science of this, because just out here in the layperson's world, we're always talking about things like, oh, you know, I read this, I saw that, and this was online. And if you're older, you should do, I don't know, whatever, more carrot juice. I, we just hear these things and just assume that there's something behind them. When when I listen to you, it's like there's so much more. We barely get the tip of the iceberg. Well, don't don't look at me. I'm still in the same position, looking for the the base of the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're looking. I think a lot of us don't know that there's a base of an iceberg there. So thank you for uh, for all your talk on that. So um, Anne. Um, you were talking to us earlier about um, the American Vegan Society and the American Vegan Center, and I want to apologize to anybody watching on um, on YouTube that I forgot to resume the recording after the break, so we missed what you had to say about the American Vegan Society. We missed uh, what Dr. Jenkins had to say about uh, diet and aging, but the podcast, YouTube people, the uh, podcast is audio only but all the information and you can hear it um, anywhere uh, apple stitcher spotify all those places so uh, do have a listen um, but ju just for the youtube people and you want to give us just a real real quick repeat about the uh, american vegan center and the garden party coming up at the end of may Okay, uh, the American Vegan Center is our new welcome center in uh, Old City, Philadelphia. It's at 17 North 2nd Street. So we'd love to have people come and visit us there. And uh, the American Vegan Garden Party is on Sunday, May 29th in Malaga, New Jersey. You can go to our website, AmericanVegan.org to learn about uh, both things. Uh, the center and the garden party. Uh, the information for the garden party should be up uh, later this week and you can sign up to come visit us at the headquarters. And um, we just encourage people to learn about veganism wherever they are in their journey. We're there to help you. That's wonderful. Well, I appreciate you guys so much and I will be at the garden party if anybody cares and wants to meet me there because it's just, I mean, this was where for me it all started back in, in uh, 1970, 1971. And uh, every time I go back to uh, American Vegan Society headquarters in Malaga, I feel like the, 
just a young, youthful thing. So it's it's always fun to go there. So um, speaking of rejuvenating foods and almost magical foods, I know, Dr. Jenkins, one of your interests is functional foods and nutraceuticals. Can you explain to us what those are and maybe even what some of your favorite ones might be? Well, I think that um, I suppose there's a different nutraceutical is normally something that one sort of extracted from a food. Um, I have to say that as far as I'm concerned, the nutraceuticals and uh, and the sort of functional foods are are all plant-based. So um, I think that's that's the important part about it. And there are, for, for years, we've been finding that there are all sorts of things in plants. Um, very early on in our evolution, um, those are our medicines were, were derived from plant foods. So I think that's not nothing very new about that. But we do find that some of these things have effects on, uh, on, on cholesterol levels, on blood pressure, on blood glucose levels. So on things that we think could be risk factors um, for, for other diseases, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, these sorts of things. And so they're being explored in that area. So um, the functional foods are, are, if you like, the more whole food side of the, uh, of the nutraceutical. And some of the foods that are good, as we've just been mentioning, the ones we're using in the dietary portfolio, I mean, soy foods, tofu, um, tempeh, these sorts of foods, um, may lower serum cholesterol, so that's useful. Foods like oats, like barley, um, vegetables like okra and eggplant, they've all got sticky sorts of fiber in them, and they too may lower serum cholesterol level. Uh, certain plant foods, such as the, um, the, the less processed uh, olive oils and these sorts of foods, also contain quite a lot of plant sterols in them. And these are plant foods, they're the plant equivalent of cholesterol. But what it does is the gut doesn't quite recognize it as cholesterol. So it blocks the cholesterol uh, absorption mechanism. So they reduce the amount of cholesterol that you actually absorb from, from, from your intestines and push it out into the, into the outside world through the other end, as they say. Um, and so that's very useful too. You can lower the serum cholesterol that way. And nuts contain a number of sort of things like that. They contain the plant cereals from the oils, the vegetable proteins, with some fiber, and they seem to also be associated with lower cholesterol levels. So those are, if you like, functional foods for lowering serum cholesterol. Uh, other it. foods like peas, beans, and legumes uh, also lower serum cholesterol, but they have another great benefit. Uh, their carbohydrate is digested much more slowly. So they're low glycemic index. So they may be benefiting people either on the way to diabetes or who have diabetes. They may prevent people who are about to get diabetes from getting diabetes in the first place. And for those who've got diabetes, if they include those in their diet, uh, then they may improve their blood glucose status and so not get any of the problems that you get with diabetes where it's less well controlled. So I think those things are very useful. Those foods are very useful. There are, there are a number of them. I've mentioned okra, eggplant, which people may not have too much okra. Um, hopefully they have more eggplant. But there are a whole other range of foods in nature that are very useful in this respect. 
And it's been an interest of, uh, of our group to explore these and to see what effects they have. I mean, we talk about nuts, well, what about seeds? Do seeds have the same effect? Um, and I think they probably do too. So, um, you know, we've got a range of foods that have um, nutraceuticals in them and that have health benefits themselves. So that's really part of the story. I love the idea of, of adding things. You know, I think so many times people think they're going to eat a healthier diet. So I'm going to cut out this and then I'll cut out that and I'll cut out something else. And the idea that you can actually add something in and get benefit as well. It's very cool. So just in the last couple of minutes, I, I know that you have an interest in the intersection of nutrition and environmentalism. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I can tell you a little bit about it. I mean, it's something that I think the, we're being warned about currently, as you know, um, by, by international bodies that we don't have a lot of time to go before we fry the planet um, through our own uh, uh, indulgences. So I think it's, it's very important that we make a big change in what we're doing. We've also lost so many species that it's not even, it, it becomes sort of horrific just even to think about it. So I think that um, I've been interested in this for a long while. That was probably, it wasn't for health, I have to say. I've got to admit to you, it was not for health reasons that I, I became a vegetarian or later a vegan. It was for the, the, the sort of our concerns for the way we were treating other creatures and the planet. That was really the concern. So, and then what I've tried to do is try to look at the best way to do this. Because I think the question we have to ask today is not uh, what is best for us, but I think we have to say what is best for the world that is also good, the best for us. But we are the also after the planet and after other creatures, I think, because we for too long, we have been the folks, we're very egocentric in the way we've, uh, we've lived our lives. Um, so... With that in mind, many people say it's a crazy idea. I think it's crazy today, but I think in the future it will not be seen as crazy. Um, and um, I've, I've had immense um, immense support, as it were, in, in this, this thinking from my daughters, and especially my younger daughter, who's now doing a, a PhD in this particular area, the intersection of, uh, of, 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 of what we do to the planet and... Uh, and what we should be doing. Um, and also just just had a, just recently graduated, we're writing up her papers for an MSc student with me, um, Cassandra Carey, who's um, been doing very good work scoping the literature for that intersection between diet and health and the environment. And uh, I think it's very interesting. So I've become much more aware of things like uh, sort of diets we're eating, uh, land use, uh, greenhouse gas emission, water use, um, eutrophication, um, and species loss. Yes. And one yes. of the things that she's shown, which yes. I think is quite distressing. It, it is, is distressing, all... but you know, and I'm so sorry to have to stop you because we're right here at the end. But bless you and bless you for doing this for the animals and, and Anne and, and Freya and Jay, you know, it starts for the animals and then it just 
It just filters out and blesses everybody. So speaking of blessings, thanks to Unity Online Radio one more time and our engineer, Jeff, Jeff Comfort, and all the listeners. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.